Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hi everybody and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and today I'm joined by a new co-host for the first time, Yemen Chen. How are you today? Uh, I'm great, very excited to be here. Yeah, that's good. So this is your first time hosting a podcast or... Uh, well, sort of. I did uh, record a kind of informal podcast um, about two years ago for a course I was TAing. The prof had to go to a conference. So to make up for the lecture, I grabbed a buddy of mine in media studies and we talked about Google search engines for about 15 minutes in the grad club. Oh, that's pretty cool. Fun. We used to we used to record some of our podcasts in the grad club. So you'll have to show that to us sometime. and. You're going to record many more with us, so welcome aboard. Awesome, thank you. Um, anyway, today we're joined by Enrudo Chakraborty Hook. Hi, hi everyone. <laughs> a PhD student in biology. So, is it okay if I call you Annie for the purpose uh, yeah, of the absolutely. rest of the interview? Yeah. All right. So, Annie, why don't you tell us a little bit about the research that you're doing for your PhD? Um, I study the most common preventable cause of behavioral and cognitive disabilities in North America right now. So I study a group of disorders called fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Basically, when pregnant mothers consume alcohol at any stage of their pregnancy, the developing embryo, uh, because it's getting exposed to a lot of alcohol, um, when the child grows up, it um, it displays a lot of, uh, you know, either um, physical, behavioral, or cognitive abnormalities. And this is a spectrum because you have, uh, at, at the most extreme end of the spectrum, you have something called fetal alcohol syndrome, which is the most severe case of these FASDs, which is where you have so much alcohol exposure that the child has, you know, a lot stunted growth, um, you know, you know, facial deform deformities, and obviously a lot of behavioral and cognitive problems. But on the other hand, you have this spectrum of disabilities, which, you know, in the beginning three to four years of, of, of the child's life, they're not really visible. But as soon as this child goes to start, sort of school or gets more and more into a sort of uh, social groups or starts getting an education, that's when you see these problems cropping up. For example, really bad verbal skills or math skills or social deficits in terms of behavior. Um, so, so, so that's something these sort of disabilities persist throughout. And what I'm trying to do is rehabilitate the behavioral and cognitive disabilities of these children um, using mouse models. Okay. So you're studying these fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I always, I've, I've heard about fetal alcohol syndrome, but yeah. never, never heard of it as a spectrum of disorders. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, just, I want to jump on that real quick first. Are yeah. there, is, is there a, depending on the time in the pregnancy where drinking happens and how heavily, yeah. that it will, it will create differences in um, behaviors? So you mentioned that there could be verbal or yeah. you know, problems with math, things like that. Yeah. Um, is there a difference depending on how, how frequently or how much or when uh, the mother was drinking, or is that known yet? So that that's a really interesting question, and it, it's it's an interesting and an important question. Why? Because um, there is absolutely no safe time for a pregnant woman ever to drink or consume alcohol. Um, 
you know, ever throughout pregnancy. And we still have, I mean, we know about FASD since the 90, since 1969. And even till last year, we have some news reports and news outlets that say, you know, it's okay to have a glass of wine or two during pregnancy, which is absolutely wrong. You, pregnant mothers should not be consuming alcohol. When we talk about mouse models or rodent models in general, for example, research from our lab has shown that depending on the trimester of pregnancy, you have certain deficits which are more pronounced. So for example, I study the third trimester alcohol exposure where we know that uh, we have more pronounced cognitive and behavioral disabilities, right? Because the brain structure is formed, but the wiring is still, um, you know, still getting into place and alcohol sort of disrupts that, right? In the first and second trimester, mostly, relatively, you have uh, more pronounced behavioral deficits or more pronounced growth abnormalities, but not a lot of cognitive disabilities. Well, why? Because, you know, um, there isn't, um, you don't really have a fully developed brain to to work on. Okay. So I have uh, sort of a question. You, you study this in mice models. Yeah. How does a sort of cognitive disability and behavioral disability manifest in mice? That, so um, so one of the things that, um, and, and this is something that I learned very early on when I, when I began my PhD is when we talk about anxiety in mice, right? So that's an that's a example of a behavioral disability, right? Anxiety or stress. And a cognitive disability is when you're talking about memory and learning disabilities, right? So when I'm saying so, so the correct terminology is mice display anxiety-like behavior or stress-like behavior. And we design certain tests for mice to sort of manifest those, those behaviors, right? So one of the simple tests we do is something called a light-dark box. Mice in nature, or ethologically speaking, they like to be in dark places, mm -hmm. right? Now, this box is designed to... Uh, to, to basically test that. So normally if you give a mouse a choice between a light area and a dark area, just by its very nature, it'll spend more time in the dark area of the box, right? If I have a mouse that has been exposed to alcohol during its brain development, um, we know that these mice tend to be a lot more anxious or more stressed out, right? So compared to normal mice, they spend more time in the dark area of the region than in the light area. And that difference, right, is something that we label as, okay, compared to a normal mouse, compared to a normal or a healthy mouse, an alcohol-exposed mouse is more stressed or more anxious. So these traits are, importantly, these traits should be spoken in terms of relative, uh, relative to normal and healthy mice. Right. So, so besides the light and dark box, yeah. Um, what other kind of tests do you use on these mice, and how how else do you do you check out their their behavior? But then also, I know that you're looking at underlying genetic and possibly molecular mechanisms. So yeah, yeah. What else are you looking at there as well? So one of my favorite tests, uh, uh, one of the, I'm I'm more interested in cognitive or learning disabilities in mice, and subsequently extending that to to affected children. One of the simple tests we do is something called a novel object recognition test right? Mice, in general, they're very curious creatures, right? So if I, on day one of the test, if I give them, for example, uh, you know, two, you know, green pens, 
right? On the first day, a mouse will explore both pens and it'll be happy and fine and everything, right? On the next day, if I put a pen, but an, an iPhone, for example, if the mouse has a, you know, a good memory, if the mouse remembers what it did yesterday, it will by its very nature explore the phone more than the pen because it knows that it explored the pen yesterday, right? But alcohol affected mice because alcohol has sort of, um, for the lack of a better word, destroyed their memory processing centers, the mouse does not remember that. And the mouse explores both these objects equally. Right? And so the mouse does not have a concept of novel object recognition or has no concept of, um, of memory or learning per se. Right? So these are some of the tests we do. We also measure things like visuospatial memory. Right? Given a certain maze, how well can a mouse navigate its way through that maze? Um, and I, I, you were mentioning genetic tests. So after this battery of behavioral tests, right, where we do a lot of behavioral and cognitive tests, we dissect the hippocampus of these mice. Um, and we are more interested in the hippocampus because uh, the hippocampus is the main memory and learning center of the brain, right? So we dissect these mice, we extract DNA um, from the hippocampus, and then we sort of we study which genes are being upregulated or downregulated in these treatments. So, have you personally, you know, like cut up in mice and played around inside their skulls? Yeah, we we have. So, one of the good things um, with with animal testing at, at Western, and I'm sure it's there in other universities too, is we have a very strict sort of animal control and animal ethics board. Right, so we have to follow certain very strict guidelines when we deal with mice. So um, mice are very humanely sacrificed and euthanized, and then yes, then the fun begins. We 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 sort of dissect out their skulls and we dissect out their hippocampus. And the hippocampus is actually in mice because they're so tiny. It resembles you know a little ball of plasticine. You know, it's it's really tiny, and uh, so you have to have very delicate fingers. You shouldn't be shaking a lot, and uh, you know, so you dissect it out, and then you, um, you know, you do the rest of your work on it. So, with the genetic analysis that you're doing, what yeah. what types of analyses? What what kind of genes are you looking for exactly uh, to be expressed or or downregulated? In these regions. So um, the the good thing with 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 technology nowadays is that for a relatively cheap price, using you know certain specialized technology, right? Um, using using specialized technology, we can measure the the status of you know twenty thousand or thirty thousand genes at one go, and this gives us a really nice global picture. Of the kinds of genes that are being uh, that are being affected with either treatment or uh, you know either alcohol exposure or uh, you know treatment in my case in, in my case of environmental enrichment. So the what I've been observing is when my alcohol exposed mice are being treated, um, you know when they're when they're undergoing rehabilitation, genes that are related to brain plasticity or genes that are related to neural structure or certain nerve growth factors, these are the genes that are really responding well 
to a rehabilitative environment in mice. So I'm going to stop you there just for a second yeah. because we, we just went down sort of a fork in the road that yeah. was our next path. Yeah. So you, you just mentioned you're trying to rehabilitate the mice. Yeah. Yeah. So before we talk about the changes in gene expression that, that we're seeing, yeah. um, what types of rehabilitation are you trying to get at for these mice? What are you doing to, to make them improve from the state that they were kind of born into? Yeah. So, so, so this is really interesting. And um, I'll go on a detour here because <laughs> uh, when, I, when I read this paper it, way back in 2011, like sort of my, my eyes opened up and, and this was really interesting. So there's this whole uh, concept of environmental enrichment in mice. Now, mice are usually kept in, you know, standard shoebox, shoebox size cages, right? With, with standard bedding and a house and everything, right? Environmental enrichment is basically you have these really large boxes, right? These really large cages, but mice get a lot of toys, right? So I'll give them a lot of different kinds of balls and, and, and twigs of different colors and shapes and sizes and texture. I'll also make sure that they're getting a lot of exercise in terms of running wheels and jumping ropes and, you know, metal hoops. And I'll keep changing this environment every three to four days. So my mice are getting re, uh, rehabilitation in terms of, uh, you know, social enrichment because my mice are being housed in terms of, you know, with six, seven mice together. They're getting physical enrichment, right? So they're getting a lot of physical activity and exercise, but they're also getting cognitive enrichment, which I define as, you know, this novelty of environment, right? You're dealing with a lot of different shapes, colors, and sizes, and textures, but you're also being introduced to a new environment every three, four days, right? And what this has shown is that in mouse models of Alzheimer's, traumatic brain injury, depression, and even fetal alcohol syndrome, these mice are, they become, after a certain period in this rehabilitative environment, they become better learners. They have better memory. Physiologically, they have less, uh, less levels of stress hormones. Um, so the constantly changing environment yeah. doesn't make them more anxious it actually makes them less anxious it, it actually makes them less anxious and that's interesting you bring that up because <laughs> studies have shown in fact this was in nature neuroscience a couple of years ago okay. where if you if you put one mouse in a cage with a lot of toys and wheels and everything the mouse will still do a lot of exercise and they'll still run about but that's where they do it out of a lot of stress so they measured you know uh, you know different uh, uh, you know, hormones in the HPA axis, and they found a lot of elevated levels of cortisol and various stress hormones. So the key thing here is not only are you giving them, uh, you know, physical and cognitive enrichment, but it's also social. So they have to be socially housed in groups of at least six or seven to really get that effect, right? Um, and, you know, the history of this is really interesting is because this, this whole concept of environmental enrichment in mice was uh, discovered serendipitously in the 1940s by the Stanford professor who took some rats home. You know, back then, you know, you know, animal standards were, you know, we were still learning, right? So he <laughs> takes he takes these my he takes these rats home so that you know his kids can play with it and everything, and he keeps these rats in his house for about a month, and after a month he takes them back to the lab. And he noticed that these rats who had been in his home for a month, they were actually performing better in these tests. They were less stressed and they were less anxious. And that's when this whole system sort of got a bit formalized. They had a bit of guidelines and this became environmental enrichment. So this is something that I do. 
So I expose my mice to alcohol while their brain is still developing. And then I keep them in this environmentally enriched condition for about one and a half to two months. And what I've noticed is that my alcohol exposed mice who have undergone rehabilitation, they're actually less stressed, they're less anxious, they have better memory, and they're better learners. Can I just jump in with one question yeah, here? Yeah. How are you exposing these fetal mice to alcohol? Are you giving their mothers, you know, wine? Uh, okay, so uh, here's... Straight up vodka. <laughs> Straight up tequila shots um, at the bar. They, so so here's, here, here's one interesting quirk of, 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 of mouse models. In, in, in humans, we usually deal with three trimesters of pregnancy, right? Now, in mice, when we're talking about pregnancy equivalence in mice, the first two trimesters of pregnancy in mice happen inside the womb, right? So the mother has all her pups inside. The third trimester in mouse pregnancy happens outside the mother. Oh. Yeah, which is, which, is, which is, you know, biology, this is what we deal with, right? So the third trimester, we have all these pups, right? who are still developing, right? So they, they still have a lot of brain development to go through. And when I, and as I told you earlier, the third trimester, alcohol exposure during the third trimester, what we found is gives us uh, a lot of behavioral and cognitive abnormalities. Why? Because the third trimester in mice is the peak of something called synaptogenesis, right? Where, so how do we explain synaptogenesis? So, so, so let's imagine, let's imagine a computer system, right? You have a monitor, you have a keyboard, you have a mouse, and you have the CPU, right? By the third trimester, we have all these different components in place, but there's no software to run the mouse. There's no wires to connect each component together. And in the third trimester, this is what's happening. So the brain is undergoing this really final phase of wiring synapses are being formed, right? Synaptogenesis. Mm -hmm. And I expose my mice to alcohol during this critical phase, right? So I, we usually, uh, we, we expose mice to something uh, to, to, to model or to mimic binge drinking in, in, in human mothers, right? Because we want to model, for now, we want to model the most acute high exposure to alcohol. So we're not talking about mothers who are drinking, you know, you know, a glass of wine every day. We're talking about mothers who are drinking a lot of, uh, consuming a lot of alcohol every day, right? Um, so we inject these uh, third trimester little pups with 100% uh, with ethanol, you know, chemical grade ethanol um, on days six and seven, which is the peak of synaptogenesis. And then we, you know, and then we study them. Yeah. yeah. I guess we weren't terribly far off with shots. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we, pretty we close. Went, yeah. Uh, for example, in our lab, we also study continuous alcohol exposure. So we are also trying to model mothers who are drinking, consuming alcohol throughout their whole pregnancy. But we have people in our lab who are, who are doing that work. Okay. Yeah. So the rehabilitated mice do better than mice who have not been rehabilitated. Yeah. How do they compare with mice who had no alcohol exposure ah, that's, growing up? That's a, that's a good question. So one of the really interesting things that we have observed is that, um, so my, my, my normal mice, even my normal mice who haven't had any rehabilitation, 
my alcohol exposed mice who have undergone rehabilitation they can really never catch up to even my healthy mice who have not received any exercise right so yes my alcohol exposed mice who have undergone rehabilitation are performing better than alcohol exposed mice with no rehabilitation but we see that they they will never be able to reach that perfectly normal healthy stage right so i can never completely reverse these deficits the best i can do is ameliorate them to a certain extent and this shows that um rehabilitation works to a certain degree because alcohol exposure during neurodevelopment does cause permanent lasting damage and rehabilitation what it can do is blunt the extent of that deficit to a certain extent right and 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 so that's that that's one of the things that we've we've shown through our research okay so i guess to, we started off with with the human condition fetal alcohol spectrum disorders yeah and we've gone into now your research on mice yeah. so let's bring it back to humans okay. uh, just as a last question yeah um what would you say then the real takeaway is from this for for the human condition in terms of um bringing up children who who may have been exposed as you know while they were still developing yeah. and then also for pregnant mothers what would your advice be for all of that so a uh, couple of things so first of all the environment in which a child grows up is extremely important especially with kids who have been exposed to alcohol number one no time during pregnancy is safe during for drinking right um if you know if 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 a child has been exposed to alcohol um you know maximum effort should be made to to you know to get these children into you know specialized counseling sessions or you know you know some sort of rehabilitative therapy or the other one of the questions that is still outstanding is we know that uh, you know even in general normal healthy adults right do exercise or or do crosswords you know keep your brain healthy right um we know that it's useful for us but we don't know why how does how does keeping your brain agile really how do you explain that in terms of genes and proteins right so i i, I think fine. one of the takeaway messages is that we we're trying to identify genes and proteins in damaged brains that respond to some sort of rehabilitation and i guess one of the most useful things would be to design drugs or to come up with therapies that activate these these genes or they mimic the effect of these genes to ensure that rehabilitative therapies are more effective uh, in in dealing with with FASD children and the the genes that you will be identifying or have already identified yeah. Yeah. um do you think that those could then be monitored in children as well later down the road so that we we can further identify what might be going on and say okay you know if you get involved in more sports you know maybe you play soccer yeah. and and do a little bit more yeah. social things as well yeah. maybe that will be enough for you and then we can monitor that over time yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. and 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 i think um uh, given how how technology is progressing so quickly there might come a day when we know that you know uh you know as you said if you do certain physical exercises we know for sure that these 10 15 genes will be upregulated or will be affected no matter what so um you know to, to design for example therapies or to design activities to ensure that these genes are constantly being um you know they they're upregulated in in such a way to 
to be advantageous to us yeah absolutely i, I think in the future something like this will will definitely be possible oh, that's really hopeful and on that note okay thank you so much annie for coming okay. on the show thank you that's so been much a really great interview it's been a pleasure to have you okay Thanks. thank you so much that's all we got for this week if you like this episode share it with someone check us all out on twitter and facebook both you can find through gradcast radio You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.